This first uh, session, we want to look, I've asked Julian to help me and look at the subject of creating a culture of Holy Spirit awareness, right? creating a culture of Holy Spirit awareness. And just a few verses just to kick us off, um, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 33, where it says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If I speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to God. Uh, sorry, speak to himself uh, and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Father, help us this morning as we just, uh, we want churches that are soaked with your presence. We want churches where the saints of God encounter God, and, when tho- and churches where those who don't know God are drawn in and impacted by the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us right across every church that's represented here and all those, Lord, who perhaps watch the video, Lord, wherever this goes. Father, we want a culture of Holy Spirit awareness so that we learn how to move in the Spirit. We learn how to manage your activity in a way that doesn't quench it. Uh, but facilitates it. We want to be full of good explanation and help to those who are seeking. We don't want to put anybody off by being weird. But Lord, we do want you to be present. We don't want to do anything that just kind of squashes or quenches or hinders. So help us, just as myself and Julian look at this, we, we pray, put a foundation among us. Just nudge us along in the journey. We're all learning, Lord. We need your help. Uh, and we, we just want to learn together in these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I've dis- I am uh, describing myself more and more and more in these days as having great big L plates on. And I've come to the conclusion there will never be a day when I take those L plates off. Because the more you get into the things of God and the more God begins to do, the more you have to adopt a culture of learning. You just have to. Because there's always things you've not encountered before, always new things to to work through and to uh, package and adjust and think and reflect. So the first thing to say is I want all of us to really be happy being learners. We've got to learn together. And I'll say some things that perhaps hopefully help us, perhaps just some things I'm learning. But it's important that we, it's okay to be learners. It doesn't mean you're failing or you're amateurish. Actually, I think learning is a mature position to adopt in the Christian life. We're always constantly learning. So I just wanted to kind of give three little headings, and I, I, I hopefully won't take too long, because I want to give Julian some time to bring his perspective, and I'm so thankful for Julian. He, do, he really does, he's teaching me a lot about how to just facilitate the Holy Spirit. So I, I want to give him plenty of time. But just some things, perhaps, from my point of view, that I hope will help us and help you all back in your local churches. I want to just talk about a few things about corporate meetings and creating a a culture of Holy Spirit awareness in corporate meetings. I want to talk a little bit uh, about personal encounter and how to facilitate uh, a culture of Holy Spirit awareness in your own life, so when it's just you and God. Um, And then just a few observations about 
when God is moving in power? How do, how do we kind of um, work with that? So the first thing, just some thoughts about corporate meetings. Um, I, that passage I read, there's one verse there that really just stuck, struck, uh, sorry, stuck out to me when I read it. And it said, um, uh, where are we? Uh, in verse 27, if anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. And then this bit. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent. And I just read that again and again. I was thinking, right, if there's no one to interpret, keep silent. And the broad theme, I think, that Paul is saying there, he's just giving an observation, an observation is this. He's saying it is responsible and appropriate to manage the different contexts we find ourselves in in church life. We can't just apply a one-size-fit-all to everything. Because he's saying, when you come together, the first thing he's saying is, when you come together in every meeting, in every setting, it is facilitating Holy Spirit awareness that everybody comes expecting to contribute. Right? That's, that's in every meeting. Whether it's a cell group, a tripler, a thousands gathering, whatever it is, we should all come with something to contribute. What he then goes on to say is a qualification if there's no one to interpret, when he's talking about speaking in tongues, if there's no one to interpret, let the speaker keep quiet. So in other words, even though we all come with the same expectation of contributing, there will be caveats and adjustments and good leadership brought into each meeting so that we get the best out of what God wants to bring into the meeting. So when I've listened to what's become known as the charismational debate, I kind of think, uh, how can I put it like this? To polarize one way or the other is missing the point completely. Because we want to be fully charismatic and we want to be fully missional. The point that seems to be that Paul is making is, well, you have to manage the meetings well so that you facilitate what God is doing in a way that edifies the body, which is what Paul is talking about, everything be done to strengthen, but also so that those who come in who are not Christians are not put off by what they see, but somehow are drawn into a greater awareness on their journey. So it seems to me that Paul is saying we've got to uh, ex expect that there will be um, confident spiritual gift expression, Holy Spirit awareness in every meeting, but we've got to manage that uh, well. Now, what would be some of the things that would, that would affect that? Well, if you, it really depends how many non-Christians are in the meeting. Uh, if, there's, uh, if you have an alpha supper and uh, like three people speak in tongues who are table leaders and then no one interprets, that's not going to really help the non-Christians, is it? Now, I'm giving you a, an obviously bizarre example, but we, all, we do need to just kind of think, okay, who is here? Now, it's up to the elders and those leading the meeting to really, really think that through. I, to think to yourself, everything that is shared in this meeting must glorify God and help in some way everyone who's here. So we've got to really apply that to ourselves and think, okay, how do we manage that? How do we facilitate that? I don't mind things happening in the meeting that non-Christians think, what is that? I don't mind that. Weird is good as long as it's good weird. There is good weird and bad weird. As I understand speaking in tongues, it is a sign for unbelievers pointing them to something that they're not a part of. It's actually saying, you're not part of this, you don't understand this, this is outside your, your, 
the kingdom you're in. This is outside where you live. This is not part of who you are. And they, they are provoked by the sign. So it's important that when we see God moving in some of the gifts of the Spirit that are a little kind of unusual to the person walking in off the street, rather than clamp it down and say, well, we don't speak in tongues in the main meetings on Sunday now because there's unbelievers there, Paul even expressly says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. So that's too far. It's just making sure that when there is contributions, we want to make sure that they help everybody, they are explained and sometimes that can go, these are just observations. Sometimes I think it can be too over-explained and you get some elder standing up who then gives a 15-minute exposition on tongues. You think, no, you've just quashed the whole point. It just needs a little touch on the, on the rudder. That's all it needs, just to make sure everyone kind of understands. It doesn't have to be straight up after the gifts uh, kind of brought. Just make sure it's helpful. Some other things I observe is, when, when people bring a, 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 a tongue, um, if, they, if they can't sing, how can I put this delicately? If, uh, if, if <laughs> you've got it, okay. Uh, just, just, encourage, just encourage them, look, next time you bring that, ju just speak it. Because, <laughs> it, uh, now the reason I'm saying that is not to, I'm, you know, not everyone can sing. And I, it's not to be critical of people. It's just to say, what happens is, you end up remembering the fact they couldn't sing rather than what they brought. So it's trying to let everything be done to strengthen. So it's just trying to help people. If people feel a scripture and they come up and they want to read three chapters of Isaiah, I think, well, no, really, what's the main point you want to convey here? Just try, just try to help people. And I do think our church is just, we really need to teach people well. And think to yourself, we're all learning it's okay even if people get it wrong. If there's a mistake made, we don't shoot people, we encourage them and say, okay, let's just try that a little bit different next time just to get, get a little bit better out of that. Um, so these are just things I'm, I'm uh, ob observing. When, when I talk about spiritual gifts, I think the reason I'm talking about non-Christians and, and not being afraid if it's good weird is this. If we just think that we've got to <coughs> appeal to people's minds, we're missing something. When the Holy Spirit is moving in a meeting, it's people's hearts that are being touched, and their minds might even be offended, but God is doing something in their hearts. And because we live in a Western intellectual kind of framework, we tend to think, oh goodness, I mustn't offend their minds. No, that's not biblical. That's cultural. The, the, the Holy Spirit moves in people's spirits and hearts and convicts them he does some, something in people's inner being that is not always necessarily conceptually under, understandable to them. So we mustn't try and remove mystery from, from the moving of God in meetings. I, I'm just kind of, I know some of these things you're, you're familiar with, but I just want to, again, lay a foundation that, that, that we, we really work hard at this. Um, when you're in a larger meeting, I think you have to, there's a tipping point, and I, I don't know quite where that tipping point is when, do you have a completely open mic, or do you have a managed mic, you know, how, how do you, you know, and I'm not going to put kind of guidelines to that, I'm just saying, as elder teams, you know, we're, we're all big boys and girls here, we all got to, you know, work these things through, think, is that helpful now where we are, we're now getting more and more unbelievers coming through, more and more people we don't know, these are all the issues you've got to just work through in terms of managing meetings because we want to facilitate uh, what God is doing. A couple of other just observations, uh, and then we'll move on to the next one, is um, uh, 
When it comes to speaking in tongues or prophesying, it does seem to me that Paul is saying, don't just have an endless machine gun of prophecy. Uh, he's saying, you know, two or three. Now, I don't think fire's going to fall from heaven if you have four. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, think, that's the, I don't think that's the point. He's just saying, you know, and when he says each one, uh, weigh it, I don't think he's saying there has to be a big analysis and we all sit around in a room, Did that, was that God? No, you know, sometimes you can weigh things just with a nod. You kind of think, no, you just sense no God's in that. Weighing is more about pondering, applying, considering, not losing what's been brought before you move on. It's just about managing the rhythms of what God is doing in a meeting. And I think that applies to anything God does in a meeting. We just have to allow ourselves to and learn how to manage well the, the unforced rhythms of God's activity. And that really requires some skill that I think another observation was, was don't just put someone anchoring a meeting on their own and then everyone abandon them on the front row. Lead a meeting in team. So that you kind of, what do you think we should do now? How do you, you know, try it. The more God does in our meetings, the more we will need team management of what goes on. Isn't that right? I mean, I don't want to be managing a meeting on my own, thinking, goodness, what do I do now? You know, I think that's just not, not helpful. So there's just some observations there. I mean, I'm not giving you hard and fast rules. I'm just saying, I think that I, I want my cake and eat it. I want to see powerful manifestations of the Holy Spirit amongst us but I want to see unbelievers saved in that context. I think that's the flavor of the New Testament. I am not going to swing one way or the other. I'm not going to have weird things happening that unbelievers are put off by. Neither am I going to make it so tame and safe that God can't do anything because we're afraid of offending people who don't know the Lord. Somewhere, I think Paul is delivering a middle ground to Corinth here. He says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. He could have shut the whole thing down, but he didn't. He said, actually, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he was provoking them not to stop what they were doing, but to manage well the culture of great aspiration after Holy Spirit awareness. So does that make sense to you? And uh, uh, let's work that out together in, in, our, in our teams, in our church life. Put it on your agenda. Review it regularly. I think it's very important uh, you know, to, to get into a habit of regularly reviewing Sunday morning. How did that go? Do, do we need to adjust some things there? Just to try and make sure we're managing meetings well. Because I believe God's going to bring in more and more and more people who don't know Jesus. And I want them to get birthed into an atmosphere where we cultivate Holy Spirit awareness, but we help them on their journey rather than just scoring own goals where we could have just, uh, with a bit more thought, uh, gained some, some, some quick victories. Uh, so hopefully that makes sense. Um, second thing, just about personal encounter. I just, just again, just my own thoughts. If we want to create a culture of Holy Spirit awareness, it's got to start with us individually. In, in my personal time with God, I expect him to meet with me. I, I mean, that sounds an obvious thing to say. I, I expect him to meet with me. And I've found, and I've also, I'm learning, I'm learning to listen to little nudges in my heart of even things he wants me to do in worshipping him. I can't tell you sometimes why he asks me to do them. I think he's just teaching me to hear his voice. And you might think, no, it's not God, you're just nuts. That's possible. But I, I, I don't think so. Uh, or it might be both. But, but I th like, for example, 
for a few months, uh, every time I prayed, I felt God say to me, just lay on the floor and pray. And I thought, what do you want me to do that for? And I resisted it for a while, and it just kept, I thought, no, this, is, this isn't me just having a funny thought. God, for some reason, wants me just to lay on the floor. And I found whenever I laid on the floor, I could pray much with much more authority and liberty than I could sitting in my chair. Now, that's past. That's now past. So it hasn't become a tradition. But I've learned to just set the sails of my own walk with him so that when the wind of his, of his voice just catches me, I, I'm quick to respond. Now, you might think, well, is that really important? I'll tell you why I think it's important. If I can't learn to hear him very gently in my own life, I'm never going to hear him in a corporate meeting. Because I've got to learn to, like Samuel, where God was calling him, and he he just didn't recognize God's voice. And and it wasn't until Eli said, go back and and listen again. And a lot of us, I think, as leaders, we've got to learn to cultivate in private what we want to see happen in public. Uh, and you can only lead people as far as you've gone yourself. One thing that helps me a lot, uh, I think, in f- creating a culture of Holy Spirit awareness in my own life is learning to let God more and more speak to me from the Scriptures. So meditating on Scripture to me is is my lifeblood. I, I just love opening the Scripture, even if I only read one verse a day. Very often I'll just read one verse, and I'll just, let, I'll just say, Lord, just start speaking to me, and, and he does. He does, and I usually tweet it. All right, that's my way. All right, I think, right, what has God said to me? How can I put that into a two sentences, and I'll tweet it? It just helps me so that I'm not just trying to have some mystical feeling. I'm trying to get hold of truth and let truth, uh, let the Holy Spirit then feed me with truth. Uh, and I, th- I think we've got to become more and more good at that as, as leaders. How free and open in private are you with God? If he says, right, speak in tongues loudly on your own, can you do that? Can, can you do that in your own home without feeling stupid? I usually go out on the beach or somewhere where there's no one else or there's no one to hear me. And I, I really go for it. I have a quick look around, make sure there's no dog walkers. But I, I, really, go, I really, really go for it. And there's been many, time, many times when I've been just on the beach praying to God, where I, I still don't know quite what this is, um, but somehow I feel I share the heart of Jesus and I start crying um, and I feel I share his sufferings. Somehow. I feel somehow he shares his heart with me and I just weep, I weep, I, weep, I, I wail. I, mean, it's, I, I scare myself. Sometimes I've, I've cried so loudly, I've scared myself. I thought, what is that? I've got no idea. Someone can perhaps give me a theological answer. What it, I don't know what it is. All I know is this, is if I allow myself the freedom, physically, spiritually, emotionally, to engage with God, I grow as a person in my relationship with him. And I want to just encourage us to... Particularly, most of well, all of us, I think, are from uh, from Western contexts. Whether it's the UK or the mainland, we are very, very cautious in how we express ourselves with God. And I think we've got to we've got to really go on a bit of a journey there. All of those things lead to this: 
however you are in private with God will affect how confident you are at leading a ministry time. Because if you get used to learning to wait for God personally, you'll be more comfortable waiting for him in a ministry time. If something doesn't happen, you think, oh, crikey, five minutes has gone by, nothing's happening, what do I do now? Just wait. Just wait. Sometimes I'll be praying and I'd sit there for 10 minutes and I just, I think I don't really know what to do now, but I'm just in his presence. I'm just sitting with God. Don't need to say anything. In our meetings, we usually fill the silences because they're awkward. Isn't that right? Well, we've got to become better, I think, at just letting God be amongst us. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. That's why we do need teams uh, leading meetings, because that takes courage to do nothing, actually, doesn't it? Because the awkward silence, you know, what are they doing? Are they dead? Why aren't they leading the meeting? Have they all fallen asleep? No, there's, they're just waiting. I try to think to myself, do you know what? In ministry times, I now have nothing to prove and no one to impress, so I don't have to make anything happen. If I pray for healing and nobody gets healed, it's not my problem, that's God's problem. I don't have to prove anything. I just try and do whatever he tells me to do. So I want to encourage us just to, to do that. And then just a few more things, and I'll hand over to Julian. Just about when God is moving in, in power. Um, I think we, we must try not to associate a certain set of manifestations with the equation, therefore God is present. Manifestations do not denote God's presence in the way that lack of manifestations denote his absence of manifest, manifest presence. God is present with us now. If we all start manifesting in different ways, it doesn't mean he's more present. It just means he's manifesting himself in a different way. So I think we have to become much more confident that whether anything outward and visible is happening or not, we can still move in confidence that God is going to be doing stuff. So, we don't, so, for example, we don't have to create an atmosphere for God to start healing people. We really don't. Most of the healings in the New Testament were actually not in a good atmosphere. They were kind of, you know, just in everyday life. They were, or they were in contexts of opposition sometimes. So we mustn't gain our confidence from what's happening outwardly. We gain our confidence from the fact God is present now. And sometimes he stimulates our souls and our bodies respond to what he's doing Sometimes they don't. Waves come and go, and that's fine. Toronto uh, was intense. Our local church was, we were wild. I mean, completely off the scale. And I think, how on earth did we even survive that, really? Just managing it. We talk about managing meetings. It was, no, that's not happening so much now. It doesn't mean God's any less present. It just means he's doing different things, and that's okay. We've got to be cool with that. He hasn't we haven't lost anything. He's just doing different things. Um, a few other things. What can I say here? Um, yeah, learn to work in team in ministry times. I've already said that, but I do think that helps take the pressure off any one individual thinking we've got to make something happen. Just do it as a team. Uh, when things are happening, this is probably the last thing I'll say. When things are happening in the meeting and you think, I don't quite know whether that's good or not good, um, I, I'm not a very good gardener. I, I'm really not. But uh, So in, in the spring, what usually happens is the garden's a bit overgrown. I rush out there on the first sunny day and pull up everything that looks like a weed. Um, that, that's not good. 
because what often happens is I've pulled up all shoots of very healthy plants that were coming so that when the summer gets here, there's no color because I've just, you know, I just wrecked everything. Now, I did this, this year, I thought, no, I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn. After all these years, I'm going to try and learn. So I'm just letting some things grow. And I think, well, I don't know what you are, but I'm going <laughs> to... I, I'm going to let you grow because you look a bit, you know, interesting. And if anything emerges that looks vaguely like a flower, then praise God, I didn't pull you up. Um, now, I think that actually I need to adopt that more in our meetings because something can happen in a meeting or a trend can develop or a teaching can blow through or a a way of God seeming to move can happen, and you think, is that a weed? Is it a flower? Quick, pull it up, just in case. And actually, sometimes you've got to let it grow and see what you've got. And then if it needs a little bit of pruning, well, then it's slightly easier to prune it without killing the whole thing. Because usually when something happens, there's a bit of God in it, there's a bit of the flesh in it, and there may or may not be a bit of something else in it. Uh, you don't know. You, do, you know, there's, a, there's mixed things going on. So I'm just learning. All right? and, and it's not my nature to be patient on these things. I'm learning. I'm really trying to learn. What, what is this, Lord, that's growing? Is it good? Is it got good fruit? And sometimes I, th- I think let's, let's, let's learn to just let stuff grow for a while and not be too quick with the secretaires. Um, and as John, John Wimpy used to say, you know, I don't mind if you quack like a duck for three days if it results in you caring for the poor and leading others to Christ. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I really do. I, I praise God for John Wimber. I, I, I think he served us so wonderfully in restoring an awareness of a Holy Spirit culture. And I, I, I think he was, a, he was a man who was very happy just to let God do stuff and then he'd trim it when he needed to. He, he let things happen. He got a lot of criticism for that. But I th- I'd rather be learning to be that way than trying to keep everything too safe. Um, but we don't want to be unhelpful. We just want to be, you know what I'm trying to say. Anyway, I'll hand over to Julian now, who will talk more sense than I have. Let's welcome Julian. Thanks, Mike. Son. Great. Um, wow, what a privilege it is to be able to um, spend the next uh, few moments talking about my best friend. Um, I absolutely love Holy Spirit. Uh, he, is, uh, he means everything to me. And uh, when uh, the starting point of understanding who Holy Spirit is begins with relationship, everything is a lot easier from then on. And uh, so I really want to encourage you. For me, I come out of a Pentecostal charismatic background. I grew up in charismania. I've seen people uh, do the wild and crazy stuff. Um, but I tell you, I would never exchange that for anything else simply because I learned how to enjoy all that Holy Spirit is and all that Holy Spirit does uh, in one's life. And so I want to just encourage you, as I, as I come to speak today, um, I'm going to externally process a few things things that you might disagree with, things that you might agree with, and uh, chuck what you don't like, take what you do like, but I'm intentionally going to throw a few curveballs to provoke, to make you think, particularly in the season that we find ourselves where we're trying to figure out, are we charismational, missional, what all, all those lovely words are, um, 
I want to throw some things into the mix um, because I've got the mic and I can. Um, <laughs> when you turn to Matthew very quickly, the book of Matthew chapter 16, um, I really am going to trust God not just for me to give you a teaching on the Holy Spirit, but for an impartation that you would get uh, lovesick for him, that you would find your identity in him, that uh, I always find it fascinating when you read uh, books in theology, particularly systematic the theological books, that the, often the smallest book in the revelation of God is around the Holy Spirit, yet he has the most active role throughout Scripture. Um, I find it fascinating that after many years, most of our great Reformed theologians haven't quite understood who he is yet. And we've had a look to Pentecostal theology to try and draw uh, truths out of who he is. Um, and so I want to rely on some of that. And like I said, you can agree or disagree, that's okay. But Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some said John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This verse is imperative in us understanding the role of the Holy Spirit in our local church and in our lives. It is one of the most staggering verses in Scripture because really it is a revelation of who Jesus is. Up until this point, up, well, up until the point of Jesus' baptism, he was simply known as Jesus. After baptism, he was known as the Christ. And there's an amazing transaction that happens uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament at Jesus' baptism, where we see the coming on and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit upon the flesh of Jesus. And this word Christ is the word charisma, where we get the word anointing from. It speaks of the person of the Holy Spirit coming upon flesh in order to empower that flesh to do extraordinary things. And notice that this phrase, the Christ, is the revelation that we build the church on. We build the church on the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. That's what that is saying there. Christ, literally, whenever you read that word Christ, you can read the anointed one and his anointing speaking of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. The way we build church has to be by the Spirit, full stop. Um, people do often ask me, am I, you know, am I going for the charismational stance? Am I going for charis full-on charismatic stance? I'm going for neither. I'm going for what the Bible calls normal church, which is a revelation of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus and then when you read the epistles uh, in, in the letters that Paul writes, it's now upon us that the same anointing that came upon Jesus to authenticate his sonship and authenticate who he was as the son of God is now come upon us. And that's how we build church. That's the very foundation of church. And, and you cannot do anything apart from the Holy Spirit's activity in your life. Not only that, the Holy Spirit 
is the spirit of the age to come. He is the eschatal spirit. Really, the question is not whether you're missional or whether you're charismatic. The question is, are you a kingdom person? Because the full-out working of the kingdom through the church comes because of the Holy Spirit. And theologically, it would be a better question for us to ask, what's our kingdom theology like around the person of the Holy Spirit rather than what our practice is like in our meetings. Really important for you to understand that. One of the things I'm more and more convinced of is that when we begin to understand who the Holy Spirit is, because many of us still have some, and I want to say this respectfully, many of us still only relate to the Holy Spirit as a force or as a power. And so we only expect him to come and do things rather than be someone amongst us. And the reality is when we expect him simply as a force, we are no better than Jehovah's Witnesses who simply believe he's like the wind. He is a person. And it's important that we understand him as a person. I know I'm, I'm saying some very basic things here, and you might be saying, Julian, this is basic theology 101. I agree, but it's not our practice very often. I had an elder in our ranks ask me once, or, or commentate once on some meetings I was doing. They were like, wow, we've really loved your meetings. Prophetic was really great. Uh, we loved some of those miracles that happened, people getting healed. Uh, we even loved the salvations. But we've got one problem, Julian. You place too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit. To which I responded, that's because he is God. Um, and I find it quite fascinating that we're afraid to place too much emphasis on the person of the Holy Spirit when the reality is that the Holy Spirit can't help himself but reveal the other members of the Godhead to you. That it doesn't matter where you press at the Godhead, there's going to be a revelation of the other. And I fear that in our understanding of the economy of the Trinity, um, there's been a subtle hierarchy that's been placed in our understanding of how God works in the Trinity, which, uh, relie which uh, uh, removes the expectation of the Holy Spirit coming and moving in particular ways, because we simply put him at the bottom of the ladder, kind of like the butler of heaven. And uh, we have what I call the unholy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. I'll move on quickly. Um, and we've reduced the Holy Spirit to um, just the one who comes in and moves at the end of our meetings. We tack him on at the end of the meeting. At best, we're expecting maybe for one or two manifestations of gifts which have become pretty predictable in most of our churches, if I could be that bold. And it's become a bit like McDonald's drive through We know what we're going to get when we go there. When you look at Scripture, there seems to be this dancing hand of God that's floating around anointing and releasing people by Holy Spirit power. And I fear that because we have reduced the Holy Spirit to someone at the bottom of some kind of hierarchical structure, we've missed who he is as the very contact point of Trinitarian intimacy on the earth today. Um, I fear that because we have separated word and spirit, and I just want to, if I can, I'm just going to go on a little rant Please forgive me. Um, we have based our understanding of a separation between word and spirit upon prophecy. 
It is unbiblical to base theology on prophecy. Smith Wigglesworth brings his prophetic word about word and spirit movements coming together, and we somehow have made a theology out of that, when in the Bible there is no separation between word and spirit, and it would do us well to change our articulation a little bit around this, because the Bible says that God's words are spirit and life. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. He's not fighting for um, a position to contradict the Scriptures. And we have to re-educate our, our, our minds, re-educate our congregations, because what it's done is it's bred a separation between the intellects and the experientials, when actually the book that is written, uh, two books that record most of the activity of the Spirit, is written by an intellect called Dr. Luke. The intellect and the understanding of the moving of Holy Spirit it's not a polar opposite. They divinely join together. It's Holy Spirit who gives us insight and wisdom to understand the complicated nature of Scripture. He releases intellect for us to be able to grasp what he's doing in Scripture. Amen. And it's important that we understand that foundational to the church is this concept of Christ, the anointed one, and his anointing, the Holy Spirit, coming amongst ordinary people and anointing them for extraordinary works of service. And the primary revelation of Holy Spirit is not mission. The primary revelation of the Holy Spirit is sonship. When you read the epistles, you don't get mission out of them, you get sonship out of them. It's by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. And the reason why I'm laying this foundation is because if we don't get the relational aspect of Holy Spirit right, we'll always have a functional relationship with Him, never an intimate relationship with Him. Holy Spirit is a person. He's one of the Godhead. He, he fully represents the Godhead to us. When we encounter Him, He reveals all that Jesus is to us. He reveals the Father to us. He is incredibly kind. He's got... He's got He's got certain nuances that he likes and he doesn't like. He, he wants to create a love language with you that's uniquely created for you so that when you're in a meeting and you're leading, you know he's, he's speaking, you know his kindness towards you. He's incredibly relational. He's, he, although he's a dove, he's not a scary cat. He's not going to fly off every moment thinking, I've had enough of this. No, no, he wants to engage with you in a very deep and very radical way. He loves you. I hope you're getting something on my heart here right now because if we don't get this right, the rest of the stuff I'm going to add on in the next few moments is going to be really pointless. Um, you know, most a number of elders, one of their big questions that they have for me is, so how do I practically relate to the Holy Spirit? And it, it scares me when I hear an elder asking me a question like that because my question is, how did you become an elder? It was the Holy Spirit who made you one. If you're not in relationship with Him, if you're not in deep covenant communication with Him, something's wrong with your experience of salvation and of your encountering of God. And so I want to just to uh, unpack some of this thing very quickly. For me, one of the things in terms of the foundational impact of the Holy Spirit and the church is that we've got to get him back into the right place. <laughs> we've got to get him back into the right place in our hearts, in our minds, that he is God, that he's not the butler, he doesn't do the dirty work of the Trinity. Amen? 
that actually he wants to come and dwell amongst us. At the whole point, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's apostolic qualification in his defense of why he's an apostle is that he's produced a community of the Spirit, not a community of church planters. He's not produced missions, he's not produced evangelists, he's produced a community of the Spirit. That's the whole point of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Spirit was written on your heart, the Spirit is there, there's freedom. And, you know, very often we place a lot of emphasis on all of the mission that we do, which is so very important, but we forget the one who releases us into mission, and that's Holy Spirit. And it is of apostolic importance that if we're to be an impressive New Testament, biblical, apostolic sphere, that the Holy Spirit is central to everything we do. He takes preeminence. That everything we do is shaped around who He is and what He's leading us to. And it's important that we understand it because very often we can place an importance on church planting, an importance on mission, an importance on Alpha, an importance on all of those good things but we've never helped our people meet the person of the Holy Spirit. And whether you believe in baptism of the Spirit, infilling of the Spirit, I don't really care. The point is, are your people a people of the Spirit? Is your community a community of the Spirit? I do care, actually. I think you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I'll move on quickly. <laughs> and so how we treat him is very important. And... Uh, I want to say to you, please, hear my heart, yeah, and I say this with all respect, because of our view of the Trinity, we have reduced him to the tagline at the end of a meeting. We've got to change the way we see him. And he is God, coexisting, co-equal, different role, but he's coexisting and co-equal. Amen? The other aspect, and I'm just going to start unpacking some things just to help you um, understand how Holy Spirit works in church is around understanding the difference between manifested presence and omnipresence. And uh, whilst I agree with Mike, I disagree with some of the things he said about atmosphere, if I'm allowed to, in a, in a robust conversation, because there are things that we can do in order to position ourselves with an expectation of the manifested presence of God. Now, I want to be clear, the manifested presence of God are not the manifestations of flesh that we see, all right? But it is a clear knowing and sense that God is more here than he was a moment ago. And uh, one of the things I have found that the people who are most offended with the move of the Holy Spirit are generally not non-Christians. It's the Christians. If you look at our world today, whilst many of us are, I know there's a big argument for intellectual understanding of the gospel. I don't want to debunk that. We need an intellectual understanding of the gospel but when I hang out with non-Christians, particularly in the UK, they are open to the spirit world. They are open to all sorts of demonic stuff. And they are longing for an experience. I find it fascinating. I read a report about numbers of, of young people who are making a mission to come into old buildings, old church buildings, because of the, the sense of transcendence that they feel in those buildings. We have a generation now who are highly experiential, who want to encounter something spiritual. They're desperate for it. With the rise of paganism, Satanism, and all sorts of stuff affiliated to magic and all sorts of things, we have got a generation of people who are hungry for spiritual encounter. 
And I find that non-Christians who come into meetings, certainly like I do, and I do meetings where there's lots of activity of the Spirit, people falling over, laughing, gold dust. We've been having some phenomenal outpourings of God in recent meetings where the Spirit of burning has come into the room to the point that people in other rooms or kids and kids' work have come into the church meeting to say there's a fire in the building, what's going on? People have gone home smelling like smoke. It's been happening the last five meetings uh, that I've done. The presence of God's come in an unusual way. A little bit weird. I don't quite know what to do with it. But I love Holy Spirit, so I'll let him do what he wants because he's God and reserves the right to mess with my mind. Um, <laughs> and uh, just God doing some amazing things. And I have found, particularly in some of these meetings, and particularly in the UK, that there is a high desire for some kind of encounter transcendency. Uh, we've seen in, the, in, in our church, the Kingdoms where I'm based, over 41 people saved this year. Okay, I'm going to pretend like you got happy at that, but uh, I'll move on quickly. We've got to learn to celebrate what God is doing, not what he's not doing. Um, and we've seen 40, over 41 people saved this year, and all of them, yay! All of them have been through some kind of encounter, not just an interview. You know, we preach the gospel clearly in our church. We're not uh, wanting to downscale on a clear presentation. By the way, you're introducing people to Jesus, not to... Um, the news about Jesus, just so you know. Uh, we sometimes can make the gospel a, a, an idol when the point is we want to introduce them to the person of Jesus, not just the concept of Jesus through some works. Amen. Um, and if Jesus is not in your meeting, all they've done is heard about him, not met him. There's no manifestation of his presence. They've just heard about him, they've not met him. Um, and the Holy Spirit is the one who does that. And we've seen many get saved because of encounter. We've seen over 300 people healed on the streets of Bedford outside of our church building because of encounter. I want to say to you, very few people have said no to me praying to them on the streets or in restaurants because they're looking for encounter. And if we advertise, come and get your life changed by the power of God, we better make sure that Holy Spirit is there, less relying. And so it's, it's a real, we've got to understand the difference and actually have a theological understanding of the difference between the manifestation of his presence and his omnipresence. I know this sounds like 101, but for most of us, and I've been in meetings like this, where there's been hardly any experience of the manifestation of his presence. You can have the gift of the Holy Spirit without the manifestation of his presence. It's possible for people to operate in their giftedness, but the dynamic manifestation, the sense of him being more there than he was a moment ago, not be there. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So I just want to throw that out there very quickly. The other thing that we've had to do in our local church in terms of understanding and working with Holy Spirit is we've had to make a clear call on who our Sunday meetings are for. And uh, in the Kingdom, we've decided that our Sunday meetings are neither for the lost all for the saved, they're for God. We gather to Him. And so we've begun to change the way we articulate things. So we don't have anchors in a meeting, because that's half the problem. They anchor the meeting, it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> we have hosts in our meeting, people who host the presence of God, who host the guest of honor, the Holy Spirit, as well as guests who aren't 
Christian yet. I know that sounds like a little pedantic phrase change, but what it does is it changes the way you think about your meeting. And so many people go, and how do I control this meeting rather than how do I host this meeting? And one of the things that we're going to have to give up, help me Jesus here, <laughs> is control. Because control is related to fear. And for many of us as leaders, I've been there. You know, I was, a, I was a local church elder for seven years. My first Sunday morning meeting was horrendous. I had the longest queue of people wanting to bring contributions. They're all, and I was in South Africa. My first contribution was from an African, South African person with an American accent waving her hanky in the air. And I'm like, this has just gone over to Twilight Zone weirdness. Um, and and understand what you, I understand the difficulty of trying to control a meeting. But I want to suggest to you that we have to give up the right to control and pick up the right to host what God is doing. Um, control really has to do with fear, the fear of missing the mark, the fear of, of offending people. I want to say to you that the presence of God is both the fragrance of life and the fragrance of death. That for some, it's going to lead to encounter. I do not believe in being offensive for offensive sake. We do everything we can in our meetings to host what God is doing to provide a clear platform, a clear understanding. We explain what's happening and we've learned an articulation to explain what God is doing. But people will still be offended. And again, like I said, most of the people who come to the King's Arms and most of the people who come to the meetings that I do who get offended with what God is doing are Christians, not the, not the lost. And so we have to learn how to give up control because if we don't, we're going to miss the whole point of what God is doing. That where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is. Um, <laughs> you see, God reserves the right to mess with our minds. He reserves the right to break into our meetings. He did it with Peter. He did it in the book of Acts. And uh, he's going to do it repetitively. I believe we're on the brink of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the UK. I really believe that. There are more signs for me in terms of the outpouring of God than there ever have, has been up until this point. I moved to the UK with an expectation that God was going to break out. You don't leave Cape Town unless you get a call of God to go somewhere else. And I knew that God was going to do something significant in this nation. I believe we're on the brink of that. The Holy Spirit is a person who wants to move, he wants to do some things. We're going to have to give up the right to control. We're going to have to give up the right to, to, um, to manage meetings in a way that squashes what God is doing and come into a place where we host what God is doing. Amen? That makes sense? If we don't, we'll miss what God's going to do. The other aspect that I want to just quickly touch on in terms of understanding how to host what the Holy Spirit is doing, understanding how to host meetings, is um, that we're going to have to break the culture of cynicism and unbelief. Um, I often take a half an hour, sometimes longer, to convince people of the goodness of God, in, particularly in Western settings, because we've divorced his goodness from an experience and we've placed it to an eschatological future happening so that people do believe he's good, but only one day in the sweet by and by. 
when actually he wants to be good today and he wants to be good to you today. Um, and breaking unbelief and cynicism has everything to do with the culture of honor that God so eloquently began to speak about yesterday. The underlying wineskin for us in our local church at the King's Arms, the underlying wineskin for me when I minister in different places is this concept of honor and the culture of honor. And what honor does is it places the glory of God in a person and on a person uh, right in the center of what God is doing. So we release them to be all that God's called them to be. And without covering all of the stuff that God covered yesterday, the reason why honor is important is because in the same way that we honor one another, we're going to have to learn, more importantly, how to honor the work of the Holy Spirit. Because he's a person. And when I talk about honor in the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about paying lip service. I'm talking about genuinely in our meetings, communicating that Holy Spirit is here and we honor and value His presence. That how we communicate about who He is and how we serve with our gifts in a particular meeting is reflective of the glory of God and therefore we value what is being said. Uh, just for those of you, and you can use this or lose it, one of the things that we do in order to honor prophecy, in particularly in our context, is not have an open mic, simply because we want to create a context that takes the very weakest prophetic word to the very strongest prophetic word and build with it in our meetings. And so you'll often find that in an open mic meeting, it goes a bit like this. You kind of, the worship leaders done their best that morning. It's rainy, it's gray, and it's very depressive. People have come in all dressed with, you know, gray and black, and uh, they're now ready for the meeting. The poor worship leader has done everything he can to really make it an oh, happy day. And um, <laughs> we get there, and some well-meaning person comes up and says, yes, says God, you're all depressed and unhappy. And surely today is a day that he's going to try and make you very happy. And the meeting just goes, Pff. And then the next prophetic word comes and maybe it lifts you up. And what we do is a principle that I call rack him and stack him. And what I do is I take the weakest word and I wait and I wait. Some more words come, some more words. It could be three or four. And I take the weakest to the strongest word. And I let the weakest out first because we want to model that everyone gets to play on a Sunday. That it's not just the super prophets that do the stuff or the super gifted people. Everyone gets to do stuff. But what we do is we take the weakest until we get to the strongest. And then a good elder who's leading the meeting or whoever, it doesn't have to be an elder leading the meeting, whoever's leading the meeting then applies and brings an application, drawing a thread from the weakest to the strongest so that the next worship song takes you higher and doesn't make you drop. Do you understand that? And a worship leader who's good will listen to what God is saying in those words and bring a song that's appropriate that will lift the congregation. And I want to encourage you in that. I also want to encourage you in terms of moving in the person of the Holy Spirit, that when the principle of honor and gifts among you is released, the dynamic of supernatural activity is increased. One of the things that I'm learning is that gratitude is the context in which increase happens. And for many of us, we're so looking for God to do something in the sweet by and by in the future that we miss what he's doing in the present. 
Jesus thanked God for some fish and some loaves, and it multiplied supernaturally. One of the key things that we're going to have to do is be grateful for what we have and what we are seeing in our meetings, so that as we're grateful for what God is doing, He begins to increase what He is doing. Holy Spirit loves a gratitude attitude. He really does. And when you learn to bless what He is doing in your meetings, it increases. One of the principles for me in leading and hosting a presence of God time is I'm looking for the moment when I sense Holy Spirit and the different ways that will happen, and I'll quickly touch on that now, um, to, have to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit in 40 minutes is impossible. Um, and some of the lessons that, that I've learned. One of the things that I'm learning is as I sense His presence, I lean into what He's doing. I look for what he's doing and I lean into it. Because very often when you lean into what he's doing, it's like a wave that breaks open and there's increased activity. And, and if we're to be good hosts of the presence of Holy Spirit, we have to look for what he is doing, not for what he is not doing. One of the aspects of breaking cynicism and unbelief is learning to develop a new articulation around what he is doing. Um, and by that I mean, very often we use language that's either archaic and unconnected to where people are at around the move of the Holy Spirit, or we use language that is just um, weird and, and just totally out there in the mystical realm. We have got to get what God is doing, and what Holy Spirit is doing, and speak about it, testify about it, talk about it, and celebrate it. Because when we celebrate His activity, there's a whole lot more that happens. We really have to learn how to do that. Um, because I find that in most meetings, what God is doing is left unsaid. Um, so for example, we were in a meeting just... Uh, a few months ago, I was doing a meeting, hosting a meeting. Holy Spirit is beginning to move. One of the guys at the back is laughing his head off. I mean, it is just crazy praise on steroids. This guy is laughing and just having an absolute blast in God. I happen to like that. Um, but most, uh, a lot of people don't seem to like joy. Um, Anyway, so he's really laughing and having a good old time, and uh, not many other people are. So what we did was we got him up on stage and said, hey, dude, what's happening? He said, well, actually, you know, I'm an ex-drug addict, and uh, I've been living a life that has been clean for so many years, and I just found the grace of God to be unbelievable. So I just, I'm just feeling overwhelmed by his joy. Now, to the observer, to the uninitiated, they suddenly realize this guy is not some weirdo laughing on the side. This guy is experiencing genuine freedom simply because we put a language to what God was doing. Does that make sense? Uh, and if we do that wisely, carefully, and regularly, we'll start training our people to do that with their guests anyway. So when they bring their guests to me, they go, oh, don't worry about so-and-so. In fact, you know, just have a look, because I know they, but we're actually, he's a lawyer, and uh, he, he works in a phenomenal job fighting on behalf of those who've got no voice. Can, can you see what I'm saying? 
when we begin to articulate what God is doing, it brings a language that is accessible for the saved and those who are not yet Christians. We don't have to dial down on the power of the Holy Spirit, friends. We don't have to dial down on his activity. Holy Spirit is quite capable of convicting people of their sin all by himself. So it's really important for us to understand some of the things. In terms of Holy Spirit at work in church, in terms of the miraculous, um, I want to say you will not take your church anywhere you've not been yourself. Um, there is a theology that seems to reduce the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit to the prophets or maybe the evangelists or, you know, those types who are a little bit out there, those kind of weird, eccentric, crazy dressing, Holy Spirit junkies. Um, God bless you, but that's not biblical. It's biblical that each one of you move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's biblical that each one of you expect the manifestation of the Spirit to be at work. By the way, manifestations of the Spirit actually are his gifts, not the people laughing and falling over. Those are just responses to God's presence. It is expected of you as a leader, according to Scripture, in fact, not just as a leader, as a believer, that Holy Spirit activity happens in your life so that you can lead people to a place of drinking where you've been. You, you will not take them anywhere where they've not been before, where you've not been before, sorry. And so how you drink from Holy Spirit is very important. And this is where the culture of honor is highly significant because I want to suggest to you that our movement has done well on the preservation of Scripture and honoring the Bible in what we do as church. The result is that we have charismatic communities. Amen? We, we, want, our we, want, we want churches that are full of the Spirit because we, we're biblical, aren't we? I'm glad one or two of you agree with me. <laughs> But the problem has been that because of our where you drink from, you'll be influenced. Very often, because we've drank deeply from the Reformed well, we've often attracted Reformed culture into our meetings, not biblical culture. Can I be that bold? When you read the Bible, there are lots of weird things that happen. When you read scripture, people are afraid to talk about angels, yet if you talk scripture, it's full of angelic activity. Yet we'll find it easier to believe that someone has seen a demon than we will when someone says I've seen an angel. <laughs> and because we've drank from particular streams, please forgive me, I'm not trying to be contentious, or maybe I am a little bit, um, we have received a culture that comes from that particular stream and it's not been helpful. Now, vice versa could be said of people who drink from the weird charismatic streams and that maybe might be out on the edge and the culture might be accepted in a particular way or a particular manifestation or a particular move of God. I want to say to you that it is imperative that when you understand honor, you can drink from both streams and bring it into this stream so that we shape what God is doing according to the revelation he's given us as a people. 
And the principle of impartation in the scripture, the doctrine, the apostolic doctrine of laying on of hands that people might receive the Spirit is the preoccupation of the early church apostles. They walk around giving people the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what they do in the book of Acts. I want to suggest to you that we need that in this day again. The laying on of hands and releasing of the Holy Spirit. But I want to suggest to you that for many of us, we need to receive an impartation from other streams that are ahead of us in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit so we can bring it back into what we're doing and unlock what God is doing. And you see, the principle of honor recognizes the grace and the glory of God in someone despite their weakness or their theological error in order to partner with what God's put on them so that grace in life is released in you. Listen, the biggest shaper of my ministry in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is Benny Hinn. When I say that word, it either evokes two, one of two responses. It evokes a, oh, we love Benny, he's really cool, or heretic, heathen, prosperity preacher. Yet when you hear the man talk about the Holy Spirit and you see him weep as he talks about his friendship, you will receive an impartation that will take you on in your encountering of the Holy Spirit, no doubt. And so what I'm saying to you, for many of us, we'll go, well, if the Holy Spirit wants to move, I'm open. Being open does jack squat. <laughs> if I had to say to my fiancée, I'm open to loving you, <laughs> she'd punch me in the head. <laughs> you cannot be open to the Holy Spirit. That is an insult to him. You either press it into him or you don't. And so I want to encourage you, pressing into him is going to mean some of you are going to have to travel places to go and drink. Some of you, we, we do this for church growth programs so easily, don't we? We'll hop on a plane for the next biggest church and go and learn how they're doing it. Give us the keys. But when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit, well, if it's a real outpouring, I'm sure it will come to my church too. Can I provoke you? Some of you are going to need to get some impartation. It's a biblical principle. That's the whole point of why Paul wanted to pass through Rome, that he might impart some spiritual gift. Can I, can I say this? In New Frontiers, the issue of our theology is not up for grabs, but the practice of the person of the Holy Spirit at the moment is. And I want to say this is a prophetic cry. We cannot, we must not, miss the whole point that the church is built upon the revelation of the anointed one and his anointing, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. If we do, we'll shoot ourselves in the foot and this movement will no longer be a movement, it will become a monument. And so personally, some of you are going to have to travel places. Some of you are going to have to learn to go and drink from places. Some of you are going to have to get over the offense of the Holy Spirit moving in ways that you don't like. Listen, when gold dust first started happening, I'm like, oh, here we go, the latest gimmick in Christian 
charismania. And then I preached, and flakes of gold began to appear on my face and upon my, uh, my jacket. And I'm like, God, I did not ask you for this. In fact, I'm offended with this. Listen, we're going to have to be a people who pursue him, irrespective of how we think he needs to be boxed. He will not be put in a box. I love what Graham Cook says. God was put in a box called the Ark of the Covenant thousands of years ago. He's not going to be put in a box again. And the way Holy Spirit moves comes out of friendship, comes out of relinquishing control, it comes out of pursuing Him with a definite and a radical pursuit. It comes out of encounter. Listen, the problem of tongues in your meeting will not be much of an issue when the miraculous is breaking out anyway. People, I've just been in a meeting, oh Lord Jesus, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this word, but I'm going to say his name anyway. I've just been in a meeting with Todd Bentley um, on Saturday night. Now, I don't understand the workings of God. But I tell you what, when miracles are happening in a Hindu community where there are more Sikhs, Hindus and Muslims in one concentration of a geography outside of India than any other place in the world, and nearly 200 people respond to the gospel every night, something's happening there. I don't understand it. I'm not saying it's the best model. I'm saying pursue the best models you can. But what I'm saying is that when you honor what God is doing, you begin to partake of something of the grace that God is releasing in a place like that. And for some of you, the packaging of what God is going to do in your local church is not going to be what you expect. And if you don't get this honoring thing right, you're going to miss the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, who would have thought that a huge South African man called Rodney Howard Brown, I mean from South Africa, would start one of the longest recorded moves of God in history. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that some plumber from Bradford would move in great power? Listen, I had a, an, we had a, a lady called Auntie Kathy in our church. She's a phenomenal woman. She travelled with Smith Wigglesworth. And she said, if Smith Wigglesworth were alive today, none of us would have liked him. Because he was rude and arrogant. What I'm saying is that we sometimes look with great romance at past moves of God, and we look with great anticipation to future moves of God, but we miss what God is doing right under our noses because the packaging is wrong. You're going to have to give up control. You're going to have to learn to work with the Holy Spirit. The last point I just quickly want to make and then I want to pray, or maybe just give you a few points of personal intimacy. Is this helpful? Um, I, know, I know I'm throwing out some big clangers there. And I know I'm probably hitting some holy cows, but they do make the best burgers. Um, <laughs> but Holy Spirit is not the addendum to a meeting. He's a person. You know, he's so kind that he'll stand outside of your meetings and wait until you invite him in. He's that kind. And so you can be as open as you want until you press into him, nothing's going to happen. 
The last thing I want to just quickly touch on in terms of the Holy Spirit and how he works, it's got to do with a culture of joy. I have found that the key context in which Holy Spirit loves to move is joy. I'm just going to leave that hanging for a little bit because, again, I perceive we just need a little revelation on this one. I had an elder come up to me and say to me, Julian, your emphasis on joy is far too emotional. I really don't like how happy people are getting in the meetings. It's just all messy and emotional. And my response to him was, one, joy is not an emotion, it is a fruit. And two, God wanted to underscore that he wants you to be emotionally happy, uses the word blessed, which means extremely blissfully, wonderfully and ecstatically happy, and it's an emotion. So he just wants to underscore that not only does he want the fruit of joy to grow, he actually wants the emotion of happiness to be on display in you. Most of the church looks, most of <laughs> we had a guy pray in the meeting saying, Lord, won't you help the elders to enjoy and experience the joy of God, the kind of joy that will move their faces. <laughs> joy, the Holy Spirit loves a joyful context. He, just, he anointed Jesus with the oil of joy above his companions. Jesus' ministry was a joy ministry. It's why they accused him of being a wine bibber and a glutton. Because when he threw a party, it was full of fun and joy. It wasn't just some pathetic, sober, let's be serious. C.S. Lewis makes a great statement, joy is the serious business of heaven. If your churches are not filled with joy, I can guarantee your churches probably aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts was most often followed with, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and Joy. Joy is one of the most important commodities of the Christian faith. And in a season of recession and depression and the pandemic of mental health issues in the UK, I want to suggest to you that we need the Holy Spirit to pour out a lot more joy on our churches. I want to suggest to you that the wineskin in which the Holy Spirit is going to move is in the flexibility of happy, joyful people. I'm going to pretend like you're all happy right now. Just waiting. Just waiting for the Holy Spirit just to hit you right now. It's got to be, friends. We have learned how to have fun with Holy Spirit. He is just one of the most fun people out. He really is. When you hang out with him... I mean, some of the things that he does, the way he does them, is outrageously funny. I love it when people say to me, I will not laugh unless it's in the spirit. I'm not going to laugh in the flesh. I don't quite know how else you laugh. <laughs> you have to use your body. Imagine we use that same rule for worship. I will not worship in the flesh. We'll never have worship in our churches. The underlying wineskin for your church to experience the work of the Holy Spirit is joy. And we've got so many serious churches out there 
seriously committed to the Bible, seriously committed to mission, seriously committed to working hard, man alive, that's so boring. It really is. My mission is filled by joy. Harvest time, in a, in a Hebrew understanding, is joy time, not work time. And you know, that's that thing that Goff read out yesterday about most New Frontiers pastors being emotionally tired. That doesn't sound like his burden is light and his yoke is easy. It doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit and his unforced rhythms of grace. We've got to get back to enjoying the Holy Spirit, friends. People say to me, oh, you, you're still getting that river stuff, are you? You're still laughing. Last time I checked, the river hadn't stopped flowing. <laughs> it's still flowing. It's just that I'm deeper now than I ever was before. And I still get happy. <laughs> if I don't get drunk in the Holy Spirit, it's a pointless day for me. I need to be filled. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5. It's a happy command. Be filled. I must get inebriated in him. And I'm not talking just about external manifestation. I'm talking about the intoxicating truth of all that he is. It's heady stuff. It makes you really happy. If we don't have joy in our meetings, if we don't have joy in our expectation of mission, if we don't have joy in our prayer life, if we don't have joy, and, and listen, joy, because it's a fruit, you're not dependent on your circumstance. In fact, joy is the motivating factor that allows us to pursue love and pursue God even in the midst of suffering. It was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross. By the way, I just want to make this little statement. Jesus didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross. We have some people who preach a theology of embracing suffering without an understanding of the joy that's set before them. All that is is self-harm. It doesn't produce anything good in you, embracing suffering, without an understanding of the joy that is set before you. Friends, we have to be a people who get... Who, I'm on a mission to reclaim happy, clappy churches again. <laughs> we need some happy churches again. We need some people to come and say, yeah, there's freedom here because the Holy Spirit's here. There's, there's joy here because the Holy Spirit's here. Yeah, there's much tragedy, much suffering, but I can still smell joy. Do, do, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because if we don't have a posture of joy and an expectation of joy, I can guarantee you Holy Spirit's going to find it hard to work in your church. Just a few things personally in terms of developing a friendship with the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to learn how to develop a love language with him for yourself. You're going to have to learn to wait on him. You're going to have to learn. So when the smell of burning first started happening about five or six weeks ago, I'm like, that's weird. This burning smell carried on worship. Missed what God was doing. Second time it happened, I'm thinking, I wonder if God's endless. What's going on here? Do I wait for the spirit of burning to come before I pray for people? No. But what I am learning is when the Holy Spirit wants to make himself known, I step out the way and let him do what he wants to do. Listen, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to read what God is doing in a meeting. 
That's why he says, watch and pray. Keep your eyes open. Look at what he's giving in the meeting. Learn to decipher what he's giving and go with what he's giving. Don't be afraid of letting him mess your agenda up. It just needs to happen every Sunday, I know that. And besides, I'm not just talking about Sundays, I'm talking about your lifestyle. The key to developing friendship with Holy Spirit is by learning to waste copious amounts of time on him. One of the things I found in my personal time with Holy Spirit, you know, I talk about my years as a professional Pharisee and a professional prophet, where I was doing all the stuff for the Holy Spirit, but I didn't enjoy him in my life. <laughs> Which is easy to do. It's easy to work for God and miss out on being with him. Because you don't waste time on him. And I began to realize I was reading scripture to get a sermon, not to have an encounter. All theology that doesn't lead you to an encounter with God will only serve to make you more religious. <laughs> you can learn as much as you want about God, but if it doesn't lead you to an encounter with God, all it is is information. It's not revelation. Learn to waste time on the Holy Spirit. When you contemplate Scripture, waste time doing that. Don't do it because you want to hear another sermon. Do it because you want to be changed by the person of who he is. Amen? You're going to have to learn how to learn to be more aware of him than your surroundings. Um, as a leader, this takes time. This doesn't happen overnight. I love what Mike was saying. That, you know, sometimes God tells him to do some things. And I want to encourage you, slow obedience is no obedience. Do what God tells you to do quickly. Even if it seems weird and crazy. Because you never know what God's going to do with that. And you'll quick enough learn from your failures when it's not God and when it is God. That's the joy of Holy Spirit. Do you know that one of the words for Holy Spirit is tutor? He's not just an information giver. He wants to lead you into the experience of that which you're learning. Our understanding in, in Hebrew and in Greek mindset is sharing information when we teach. In the Hebrew mindset, it's encountering and experiencing that which you learn. And Holy Spirit wants to teach you and guide you and lead you into all truth. But it's not an intellectual ascent. It's an experiential and intellectual encounter. And when you become more aware of Him and Him and His doings and working, everything changes. Just lastly, in terms of the person of the Holy Spirit. If you are not modeling getting filled with the Holy Spirit for your people, and I'm not talking about a physical encounter, although that is helpful if God does that with you, that you don't try and restrain it, but you allow Him to move in your body and through your body. There was a season where the Holy Spirit took me through some encounters where it was very unusual and very uncomfortable on my body because He was teaching me to break through the fear of man. And for a few weeks, I had an unusual manifestation. And it wasn't fun for the first few days, but I learned to allow God to do what he wants to do with me because what it did was change my ability to prophesy because if there's one gift that will often operate under the fear of man, it's the gift of prophecy. Because very often God might be saying something completely different to what everyone else is saying. And if you haven't dealt with the gift of the fear of man, dealt with the fear of man, you will operate under the fear of man.
And God had to do some stuff by Holy Spirit activity in me that was uncomfortable. I, I was just in a, in a church this last weekend, two weekends ago, where the pastor said to me, we don't have catches in our church because if it's the Holy Spirit, nobody's going to get hurt. Um, thankfully, no one got hurt, but we heard a lot of thugs in the meeting. And uh, that kind of thinking is so unhelpful when we wanted to facilitate encounters with Holy Spirit. Listen, there's some pragmatic things you're going to have to do to make yourself open and encounter and press in to the person of the Holy Spirit. You're just going to have to spend time with Him. You're just going to have to say good morning, Holy Spirit. Some of you are going to have to, for a season, stop reading your Bible and learn to just relate to Holy Spirit. I know that sounds radical. I'm not talking about not reading your Bible for not reading your Bible's sake. I'm talking about learning to develop. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible and you're going to have to learn how to develop friendship with Him. Friends, I want to encourage you that your journeying with the Holy Spirit is going to be messy. I want to encourage you that the scripture around order in the New Testament and God doing things decently in or- and in order certainly does not look like our kind of order. <coughs> it's not going to look like four songs, a tongue and interpretation, two worship songs, and then the offering. It's going to look like sometimes the invasion of his presence making things messy. And we're just going to have to explain and trust that he's big enough to hold the lust within that. That our job is to say, this is that, by the way. And I want to, I want to ask you, when last did you have to get up and say, this is that, in your meetings? When last did you have to explain what Holy Spirit is doing in your meetings? If we want the kind of results that we see in the book of Acts, <laughs> we're going to be, have to be open to the same person that brought those results in the book of Acts. And his name is Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, some of you notice me, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit all the time. I do that on purpose because he is Holy Spirit to me. I don't say the Goff. I say Goff. Even that mindset change will bring a liberty to you in terms of working with Holy Spirit. I know I've thrown out loads of little provocative things and one-liners. I've done that intentionally because I feel that it's not more theology we need around the person of the Holy Spirit. It's more experience that we need. And uh, some of you might say, yeah, Jules, I'm... I'm not like one of those Holy Spirit junkies. God bless you. I'm not asking you to be that. What I am asking you to do is to press in to the one who is unlocking the kingdom in you, who is the one who empowers your preaching, who is the one who releases gifts in your local church, who is the one that the church is built on. So that one day together we will join him saying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Because he's the one who's shouting it out louder than we are. And when we get to know him, everything changes.